This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. So, Hope. Hey, what's up? It's a very special time of year. Back to school sales. No, I mean, technically, yes, but no. Okay, it's pumpkin spice pre-season. So, like, there's PSL K-Cups at Target. No. There's pumpkin spice lattes. Try again. What? Um, Okay, wait. So, new TV seasons are starting this fall, right? We've got The Good Place happening in September. We've got a few other shows (sighs) that are coming up that I'm really excited about. no. It's our second potiversary. What? It's been two years? Yeah, isn't that wild? That's crazy. So, what should we do to celebrate? Last time, we, like, had a special episode. I think we, like, had mimosas. Yeah, we we, did. That was really fun. sang each other, like, it's a potiversary. It's a potiversary. That song was so romantic. So good. Well, I think we should definitely thank our saintly producer, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Our amazing listeners and the ever-fabulous and impeccably dressed Channel 253 family, including our members. Yeah, man. Our families and our friends are so supportive. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for talking about the show and just being amazing. Big shout out. Um, you know what else we could do to celebrate? Yeah. I could hop on a plane, okay. uh, an Alaska plane, move halfway around the world to oh. United Arab Emirates and become a teacher over there. Uh, hell yeah. And we can keep doing the podcast with the help of modern technology, like some 21st century podcasting pen pals. I love that. Podcasting pen pals, mm-hmm. for sure. We could get guests from over there to give us some new, unique perspectives, maybe a little globalization points of view. Okay. And I'll hold it down here with local guests in the studio. That sounds awesome. This would really help launch the season three with a bang. What do you say? Same interchangeable white ladies, same format with a rad international twist. I'm in if you are. Let's do it. I'm going to miss you. Girl, I'm going to miss you so much. Mm. I'm going to text you a lot. Just That's FYI. Fine. That's good. Especially on my free internet on the planes. Hey! Big hugs. Big hugs. Interchangeable white ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today is how can the ed tech industry work with schools, teachers, and within its own ranks to create equity? With us today is our guest, Holly Morris. Hi, Holly. Hi. Welcome to the show. <laughs> um, I pulled a quote from Holly's LinkedIn that I really love, and so I'm going to read it. It's the She says, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Um, so you describe yourself as an education innovator. What exactly does that mean? Well, um, for me, it means <laughs> a way to sort of create an umbrella around all the various things I've done in my career, <clears throat> because they don't all sort of seem to link together or fit together. So... Um, And for the last probably about seven years, I've been um, in education squarely, although I've always sort of had an interest and a passion in it. Um, But I I worked for a company, a nonprofit called Educause, which Mm -hmm. is a higher ed focused sort of trade association for um, um, universities and colleges focused on helping them use technology effectively to support student success and institutional mission. So I worked with, with them for a while and in the um, sort of a little slice of their innovation program that had a K-12 higher ed combined sort of kidney team. And uh, that was called Next Generation Learning Challenges. Mm-hmm. So we were working with both K-12 and higher ed at the same time to try and figure out how they could, um, for higher ed, like come into the 21st century with mm-hmm. the rest of us. Right. And for... Um, <laughs> 
K-12 how to actually leverage and take advantage of some of the things that were happening in the edu- in the technology mm-hmm. realm um, for the benefit of younger students. Mm-hmm. So that was how it all got started. Now, what was the question? Oh, innovative. <laughs> no, that was great. <laughs> that was um, awesome. a great answer. <clears throat> so can you tell us a little bit about your journey to that? So where like, did you come from? Like, what were some of your... Be- can you talk a little bit about oh, your background like, yeah. for our guests? Did this all you start, start in yeah, how did this you start all start? in tech? Or did you start... Like, where... where uh, yeah, yeah. How'd, you get, how'd you get here? I actually started in law. So, oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, I grew up in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to public schools in Arizona. Um, my father was a professor of law at Arizona State, mm-hmm. and so and he taught there for thirty years. So um, I kind of I think I went to court with him one day. He occasionally took cases for people. Um, so I went to court with him one day, and I saw what he was doing, and I thought, Oh my God, hmm. I have to do that. Yeah. Um, and so and I think the reason was is I, I thought he's helping people. Mm-hmm. He's actually mm-hmm. helping this person get something right mm-hmm. um, that is wrong. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's great. So I, I had that fixed as my star. So I was going to be a lawyer. So I went and did that. Um, I went to Cal, mm-hmm. I, uh, to Berkeley and um, graduated from there. I went into practicing law mm-hmm. and I uh, did that for about eight years, seven years. Really typical Went to a big firm, tried to pay off yeah. my loans. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, what kind of law were you focused on? Uh, I started out doing environmental defense. Oh, and mm-hmm. um, what else? And the commercial. There was needs a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, commercial litigation, just normal oh, yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, switched over into doing um, up here. I went up to Seattle and I came to the U.S. Attorney's Office mm-hmm. as a prosecutor for, mm-hmm. and the um, U.S. Attorney's Office for about five years. Mm-hmm. Did trial work. It was fun, blah, blah, blah. But I never really lost track of. And, and it was good because I was helping people mm-hmm. throughout those years. But it wasn't quite the same. I kept, especially at the prosecutor's office, I kept feeling like, gosh, it's just too late by the time you get to my office. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to fix That's this before you even get here. And I'm yeah. like, and that kept me going back to education. Like, mm-hmm. if 80% of the people I'd met along that career had yeah. had different experiences in school, they wouldn't be sitting in my office at that yeah. time. So I was like, let's go back. So then I, various things happened, and I ended up getting a master's in um, education policy at UW. And that was about, that was 2012, mm-hmm. about seven years ago. And then I had that job with Educause. And then I left and um, did some consulting work for a little while, and then I went back to the Washington School, Washington State Charter School Association mm-hmm. as the director of school incubation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helping them um, vet school leaders to design new schools. Cool. Did you get recruited into that spot, into that position? No, it was just posted, and I thought, yeah. hey, that sounds fun. That's yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you define a little bit for our listeners? Not all of them are in education. How would you define like what ed tech is and what it's supposed <laughs> to do? <laughs> what is ed tech? Okay. Um, the short answer would be that stands for education technology. Mm-hmm. It could be any number of things. There are technology solutions that support schools on the back end, mm-hmm. um, helping them with their finances, helping them with required reporting, helping them you know, accomplish administrative tasks mm-hmm. more efficiently. That's one set of ed tech. Okay. Then there is sort of teacher, student-facing, mm-hmm. what people traditionally think of, I think of, uh, when they think of ed tech, which is you know things that will help students and teachers in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Probably the most um, familiar one would be adaptive technology. You see that with map testing. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. So um, that's a, for 
that's where you know students can do tasks and get assessed on how they're doing on those tasks. And then as they progress, if the if the computer realizes you're good at this, I'm going to up level mm-hmm. you up and mm-hmm. see how much further we can go. That's adaptive technology. Yeah. So it's adapting to what yeah. the inputs are. Um, there's all kinds of um, other types of technology, like personalization is big right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So trying what does to, that look like in a school or in a mm-hmm. classroom? Well, I think the best examples that I'm aware of would be in big picture schools. Okay. So for example, they have they're all competency-based, mm-hmm. meaning that the students are really working on on mastering competencies rather than memorizing content. Mm-hmm. That might include memorizing content, yeah. but what they're really trying to do is master a competency and then demonstrate that they've done that. So they have a, a very um, thorough, I think, you know, uh, what would you call it, like um, grid of these are the competencies for five, seven different domains of thinking mm-hmm. and doing. and So, like, um, would part of those like, competencies, like skills, like be your writing skill? Yeah. Sort, right? So or it like might be um, collaboration. It okay. might be. Okay. And it like might, a math you might demonstrate. Yeah. Okay. You might demonstrate that by doing a, a project, like a, a play for yeah. a drama class. Sure. And yeah. you would then have to do certain sub things under that. Like you would have to. Um, demonstrate public speaking skills or gotcha. that sort of oh, thing. Okay. So they're yeah. working on their competencies, mm-hmm. and they can do that in a million different ways, Yeah, but they are personalized to the students. So mm-hmm. if your student is really interested in particular types of projects, he or she can spend their time mastering those companies, competencies in a context that really works for them. Yeah. So sometimes when I think of ed tech, I think of like some of the things I've experienced would be like programs like Socrative or Kahoot. Is that still part of the umbrella or no? So for listeners who don't know that, Kahoot's like a really fun game that kids go crazy about. And it's almost like Jeopardy. If you remember, like (laughs) your teachers used to do some weird study quizzes with Jeopardy that were in a PowerPoint and it was really annoying. Um, But now Kahoot is online and it's it's so fun. And Socrative is really dope, too. So any teachers who are listening, if you've never used it, it's fantastic for assessing kids and just collecting all the data and I love the charts. You collect it all in one spot. It gives yeah. you all these charts and like it's it's really great. I recently um, was talking to someone about Zipgrade. Zipgrade is another that? new tool that um, to teachers out there might be interested in. It's basically um, you use your smartphone or tablet to uh, grade multiple choice instead of using a Scantron machine because mm. uh, like EdTech from when we were kids was like Scantron machines. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those were those yeah. were the business. <laughs> Started at the right? bottom. There right. you go. Yeah, but there's been a lot of Scantron. innovation. I didn't even right? think about those as EdTech. Right. Well, there's been a lot of innovation like in the way machine. that we even how we just do our day to day tasks like grading. Right. That's so interesting. So that brought you. <clears throat> so when you think about the projects that you've worked on in the last few years, what are some of the projects you've worked on in this field? Um, most of it has been around um, school development. Mm-hmm. And in, in the higher ed end, they're doing some really cool things that I think K-12 could take advantage yeah. of. Like what? what so, um, for example, uh, Montgomery County Community College, hmm. um, Southern New Hampshire University. Um, I'm trying to think of some. Oh, others. SNHU, they do a lot of like online learning, right? They do. Uh, most. Well, they have an on, they have a campus, like a physical campus, but they do they facilitate some online learning. I've seen their stuff, um, seen ads for their stuff. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. They had one of the um, first competency based higher ed programs. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Right now, it's only available B two B. So mm-hmm. because of um, regulations and regulatory. Uh, tape. Yeah, it's it's not possible to offer that to the public. 
Mm. So um, their competency program is only available to employers. Oh, interesting. But they're working with a lot of employers to um, upskill workers yeah. into like community to uh, you know an AA degree or mm-hmm. a BA degree. So, um, but for example, like just doing things with, around um, advising mm. differently. So mm. thinking about having students work through some personalized pathway planning so that they're not taking credits that aren't going to help them. Right? Yeah. So that's all like a kid will log into their profile, a kid, a student will log into their profile and then go through those pathways. Yeah. And then like? and then come out with a um, a plan for getting how to get in and out of college on time and mm-hmm. on budget yeah. without actually spending time doing things that don't really contribute to their success mm-hmm. yeah. um, and actually add debt to their to their bill. So um, they're doing s- much more um, uh, triage on advising. Mm-hmm. So they can see mm-hmm. patterns in the data where students are doing, the, they're on a pathway and they're like, yeah, I want to be a nurse, but you're not doing anything that's going to get you <laughs> to being a nurse, right? <laughs> yeah, or yeah. your crazy. grades in this in this area aren't really strong and um, nursing's going to be tough for you to finish in four years. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's some other alternatives. Oh, yeah. Have you caught? Have you thought yeah. about this? Have you thought about that? If you like nursing because you like to help people, maybe social work is yeah. a good yeah. substitute for that. Right. If you're not good at science, right. you know. So I, just I never really had. Being, I feel like um, I never had any advising in college. <laughs> like I figured it all out on my own, which shows because it took me like <laughs> six years to get a bachelor's degree, but. Yeah, no, I that would that actually I I can see the benefit of that how that would have benefited me in my life too like that would have been really awesome. Yeah. So you're thinking programs yeah. like that would be really good to replicate at the high school level. Well, um, yeah, in some ways, yeah. like I think a lot of high school students <laughs> in particular really have questions about yeah. where are they going after mm-hmm. this experience? What are they supposed to be doing with their lives? We don't have we don't do a very good job of building agency Mm-mm. in mm-hmm. students and. It shows when yeah. they get to other environments where things are not as structured. They're not prepared to sort of take yeah. control of things and do it. So, um, you know, I think I think technology can help in terms of um, filtering and sorting, giving people choices based mm-hmm. on their experiences and their demonstrated abilities. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's one thing. The other thing I've think it's really good for and what you and I've been talking about hope is on the side with global voice is around um, scale yeah so we have five million students in our public schools who don't mm-hmm. speak English as their first mm-hmm. language and if we think that we're going to help them we're gonna have to do something that can reach five million students mm-hmm. yeah and that's gonna have to be technology because mm-hmm. you know one great teacher is great but I we can't scale that yeah We've got to have some support for that one great teacher. Mm-hmm. And technology is one way that you can do that. Yeah. Do you want to talk, since you brought it up, I was going to ask you this question anyway. Do you want to talk a little bit more about Global Voices? That's how Holly and I met cool. on the internet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Can you internet talk a little bit about that project and what, yeah. you're, what, um, what you're doing with it? Yeah, sure. Um, Global Voice is a uh, technology platform that's designed to help uh, teachers of bilingual students the students and their parents and the district do a better job of supporting all the stakeholders in the ELL system. Nice. So um, it capitalizes on one of the 
to best uses for educational technology. So there's actually been some research about this because there's been a lot of really um, flash-in-the-pan, exciting, sexy things that don't actually work. Yep. And that Wait, turns. You want to name some names? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> we got a sham bell here for that. If you need, if okay. Well, I, I haven't personally experienced them, but I know teachers yeah. often feel like I don't want any more technology yeah. in my class because yeah. it's just a pain in the butt. Like, this looks cool, but then I don't have like Wi Fi to do it, or right. I don't have the. Or I don't know. know how to do yeah. it. Nobody trained us or yeah. whatever. Or there's no maintenance of like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, equipment. That's like, the worst. This was cool for a little yeah. bit, and now yeah. I can't access this. was awesome until it stopped working. Until it stopped working. Right. So those are. That's uh, a common experience, unfortunately. But there are two really good research-based um, uses for ed tech. One is personalization, mm, yep. that we really do know how to customize things to people. So if you think about eHarmony or, or, or dating software, yeah. right, we know how to take people's preferences mm. and match those up to things that matter to them. Right? Yeah, so that's something that we can do. Yeah. And so ed tech can do the same thing, right? And we're, I mean, we're seeing that at higher ed level pretty, pretty frequently. That's also how use. Nate and I found our new our new jobs. Actually, was through <laughs> that kind of. I joke about it being like a dating site, but yeah. what you're yeah. describing is exactly yeah. the matches. Yeah. And then the second way you said is for what? As uh, behavioral nudges. Oh, okay. So we all have apps on our phones that tell us to walk more, drink more water, or do whatever <laughs> right. we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, Fitbit. <laughs> Shout out Fitbit. Yeah. Shout out to Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. um, so that also is a really good use in edtech. Mm. So. Going back to Global Voice here, yeah. so one of the things in Global Voice is a little gamified sort of app called Level Up, mm. which gives teachers and students nudges to do mm. things that we know help students acquire language faster and yeah. deeper and help teachers connect mm. better with their teacher with their students. Um, just nudging them to do those things and giving them rewards and points for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so behavioral modification or behavioral intervention is actually one of the areas where you know, we actually can see some positive results, mm-hmm. and it's a good use of technology. That's awesome. Um, so one of the questions we were kind of toying around a little bit is, can you speak also to just the the role of ed tech in creating um, equity and access across all the different kind of, I don't know, domains, if that's the right word? Mm-hmm. So we're talking more about English language learners in this case. Where mm-hmm. else do you see ed tech um, stepping in and helping with that. Wow, there's so many places. I was just watching a, a really interesting video on um, as part of a artificial intelligence class I was taking mm. through um, an online arm of MIT. Yeah, and it was talking about the use of social robots and how students with learning disabilities, autism, for example actually do better practicing social skills with a robot. Hmm. And the reason is because robots are not judgmental. Hmm. They don't actually have any That's true. judgment That's feedback good. to the yeah. students, right? Absolutely. It's just like yes or no. Right? Well, and if you are if you have autism and you're you're you are not able to read facial cues or social right situations, yeah. then that would be that would deep well, I, I almost use the word depressurize, which is what mm-hmm. happens in an airplane. But like, um, <laughs> it takes the pressure away. It does. Yeah. And so, and they like it better. So, yeah. so they're more willing to practice yeah. with a robot than they are with yeah. people. Yeah. So that's one that's cool. potential use. Um, there, there, God, there's so many ways. So, um, and I think that's part of the reason that I really stepped into doing Global Voice is because mm. there's almost no money mm. going towards. ELL interventions mm-hmm. uh, in ed tech at all. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's, I think the question you asked was like, how could 
how could the industry work better with schools yeah. and teachers? Yeah. I think part of it is just getting to know their needs. Yeah. yeah. So as an innovator, um, the sort of core principle I work with is everything is user centered. Hmm. So from my perspective, you know, you're not innovating if you're not solving a problem. If you're just creating cool stuff, that's yeah. not and creating it. more problems and more problems, cases, right? Yeah. yeah, like that's not helpful and that's not innovation. Yeah, real yeah. innovation is about solving problems mm-hmm. and meeting needs. Yeah. So when I was sitting in that professional development class for um, ELL teachers, and I was thinking to myself, "This is crazy. We can't expect subject matter teachers mm. to be experts in differentiating learning for students who don't speak mm. English. This is hard work." Yeah. Um, I spent two days in a workshop learning about it. I was like, shoot, I, I can't do this. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is hard. I'm taking, I'm doing GLAD training next, yeah. next yeah. week. And then in August, it's like a split training in the summer. And I feel like just doing the tier one, which is like the first intro level for GLAD training, for those who are unfamiliar, it's, um, tools and strategies to work with students who are emerging English learners, um, that I just it's barely scratches the surface of the kind of skill you need and the depth yeah. of the depth of skill you need to be able to effectively teach students who are learning English. And, and I'm not even an English teacher. I, I teach social studies and I'm going to teach drama next year. And it's just like thinking about how do you reach students, you know, and effectively and support them in their, not just their, like the expectation that they're going to just do school and be yeah. successful, yeah. Right. but also there's some, uh, even like emotional there's a lot of emotional work that goes into like learning a new language, right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of sense of grief, a sense of like, um, I don't know, transformation in your life and yeah. things are changing. There's and so often, much going on. Right. And well, oftentimes and it's, so it's accompanied by other traumas happening yeah. in their lives. Right. Well, it's also so different for kids depending on where they're from and right. you know, what kind of literacy they have in their home language. Right. Um, not to get all nerdy on that. But uh, yeah. And think about like <laughs> right. language acquisition. The number is like, you can correct me, Holly, if I'm wrong about this, but it's like seven years for someone to acquire a new language. And yeah. here we are, high school's only four years. And if right. a kid comes in as a sophomore or even a senior, then we're like, come, go, 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 go. Sure. But like that even even just like that's not how language development works. Right. And yeah. so how do we, yeah, how do we, um, I guess, multiply in a way? Yeah, it's four saying? to seven years to learn and master academic English. Yeah. And I think that a lot of students, like I know students in your class up that I talk to, they have good social English. Yep. Right. Totally. And so Absolutely. they could, they could yeah. be, you know. To the untrained eye, they could look like students who are fine and Mm. can do this. But when you go into a classroom setting, it's really different. Academic English is not the same as social English. And they're at an extreme disadvantage, right? Mm -hmm. And your point, uh, Amy, about about, um, teacher preparation. Yeah. 75% 75% of our teacher prep programs don't offer any instruction yeah, at all. That's yeah. wild. Zero yeah. to teachers. Shout out Evergreen because we did. We basically that's had awesome. all champagne the for them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Right. Champagne for them. So how did you went I guess my question is kind of like um usually people will have like a starting point for the passion that they're working on. And so when you think about like why do you care about ELL kids? When did that start for you? Um you was know, there something that sparked that? It's not ELL kids per se. It's kind of a combination of things. So as a child, I traveled abroad Mm -hmm. many times. So fortunately for me, I was always in English speaking countries because I was, I couldn't, I was terrible at languages. But we were living in most of the Commonwealth countries, Australia, um, New Zealand, Mm -hmm. England, over the course of, you know, zero to 18 or whatever. And I, even there, I felt that 
gap of culture because I was American yeah. and and a black American on top yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. So it was different. Like, yeah. And I was speaking English. Like mm-hmm. it was yeah. still like hard and difficult for me to sort mm-hmm. of settle into school. And I was a good student. So I had mm-hmm. none of the typical disadvantages. Yeah. And still it was hard. Mm-hmm. So I knew I've known that feeling yeah. of being out of water, the fish out of water feeling in school all my life, you know, in one context or another. Yeah. So I had that empathy going in. Yeah. And then uh, I really got into the um, design thinking and the service blueprinting work mm. with um, Next Generation Learning Challenges. That was Those were two of the tool sets that we used to help institutions really master the idea of what it meant to be student-centered mm. in, their, in their work and, and really think about meeting needs and solving problems yeah. as opposed to doing what they've always done as institutions. So that was, that was a big change for yeah. a lot of administrators just to like turn their head around of like, I'm not here to do what's good for the institution. I'm here to do what's good for the students. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it turns out that's also good for your institution. So like yeah. it's not, they're yeah. not opposing interests, yeah. but they are really, if you put the institution's interests first, it really changes the experience for the students. Mm-hmm. And, we're finding mm-hmm. as we move into the future, we're not giving students the experiences that they need mm-hmm. to compete, to get out. And, and this goes for high school students as well as college students. So really changing that focus around to like, what does it mean to be user-centered? Mm-hmm. That's key and critical. So that got me interested. And then when I was in that class, I was just sitting there watching what we expect teachers to do mm-hmm. um, without any training. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that is a problem that's got to get solved because mm-hmm. there are 3 million teachers in our public schools yeah. Yeah. and they are trying their damnedest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know they are working hard yeah. every day and they're not happy with the results mm-hmm. that their mm-hmm. students are getting mm-hmm. with especially their English language learners. You know, I've talked to other teachers and they're yeah. like, I asked them, what do you do when you have English language learners in your class? And they're like, you know, some of my teachers were like, cross my fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, that's wild. You know? Well, it's such a justice issue, right? Like, it's such a justice issue because um, the urgency, I mean, I feel the urgency every day with Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my students, but especially my English language learners, right? It's like, you know that that's about access to jobs and a future mm-hmm. and, yeah. and family and just all kinds of things that are – and the expectations maybe that their families have on them too. Like the weight yeah. is just so heavy, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of an injustice if a kid walks out of my class – not kind of. It is an injustice if a kid walks out after being with me for a few months or weeks or whatever and isn't better at some skill that I'm supposed to be teaching. Like it might not be all the skills. Right. It might not be mastery yeah. of it. But it's just like, what are you doing if you're not helping a kid with that? At the same time, like to your point, there are people that are working their hardest and they don't know. They just don't know how to do it. Right. right? They don't know how to reach that kid. So the other part of the platform um, is for is really aimed at teachers and helping them improve their um, instruction strategies in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is in my, you know, fantasy with my that I'm working through with my developers, you know, teachers would go in and tap onto the platform teaching Common Core 2.5 on mm. Monday, click, and it spits back to you, here's five ELPA f- level mm-hmm. aligned strategies mm-hmm. for your, your students. And, you know, because we have profile um, information, mm-hmm. I know that you have two Russian speakers and two 
Tagalog speakers and to Spanish speakers, and they're at these different ELPA levels, and here's what you can do for each one of them. Mm. And those suggestions are teaching strategies, so they're language agnostic. Mm. It doesn't matter what mm. the student's language is. It's more about what is the teacher doing. So if the strategy is, say, um, to provide <clears throat> opportunities for um, visual work, maybe this, it comes back and says, here's a graphic organizer that you can mm. download. Boom. Hand this to your mm -hmm. ELPA levels two and three. For those doing it four and five, here are some um, paired sentence uh, mm. You know, sentence starters that they can use in conversations. Mm. Pair pair them up with a native English speaker and try this out. Blah blah blah. So that's giving teachers concrete, doable mm -hmm. strategies yeah. in class on Monday. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, kind of what you brought up too. The I've heard some people say, "Well, I just need to like learn this language to reach my kids." Mm -hmm. And it's like you can't learn the five languages that are represented in your yeah. class, or the fifteen, or the whatever. Like yeah. that's just also not feasible. In addition to not necessarily being best practice um, for mastering those skills, right? That have to be mastered in in English. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to think about how that can be scaled out. And that's one of the things I'm really excited about for the for the program. No biases here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds did really you have awesome. another quick question or did you want to no, take No, no, that okay. sounds really cool. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back okay. with some controversies. Okay, bye. <laughs> this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, We Art Tacoma. Channel 253 is sponsored by our friends at Tacoma Arts Live. Did you know that Tacoma Arts Live offers one of the largest arts education programs in the state? Every year, more than 55,000 students, teachers, and families participate with Tacoma Arts Live through in-depth social and emotional learning, civil rights education, world culture immersion, special educational matinees, and much more. Perhaps even as impressive as the total number of students served or the kind of youth served. In the in-school residency program, students were on average more diverse than the general population of our region. 79% were low income, 20% have special needs of some kind, and 8% have experienced or are homeless. Getting these kids access to arts education is vital. Whether it's the chance to bang on some drums and learn better self-discipline like one student did, or find a new sense of belonging and self-expression like two sisters who were living in a shelter with their mother did, these are students who desperately need the restorative and transformative power of the arts. Tacoma Arts Live provides our youth with the tools that will create an enlightened, creative, and discerning citizenry ready for the challenges of the 21st century. Learn more at tacomaartslive.org slash education. My thanks to Tacoma Arts Live for their support of Channel 253. All right, and we're back. We're and back. And in this next section, we're going to debunk some stigmas as we <laughs> talked about at the break. <laughs> um, first of all, can you speak a little bit to how do you fund these programs? How do we get them in the hands of students and teachers and in school districts? What does that kind of look like? <laughs> that is the $64 million <laughs> question. Um, so I'm looking for funding right now. Um, and... Mostly I'm doing my shopping through philanthropy, like mm -hmm. typical foundations mm -hmm. that have education as a focus. Mm -hmm. There are a few that have technology on their on their sites, like the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Dell Computers would yeah. be interested in technology. Um, you know, <laughs> surprise. Surprise. Um, but there's not a there's not a lot of focus mm -hmm. on technology ed educational technology 
from mm. funders. Mm. There's lots of focus on education, but sort of general. Why do you think that is? I think that people, gosh, I don't know. I think that people don't really, un, it's, there have been some, there have been enough failures mm. with mm. technology and it's expensive to fail ah, at technology. Right. So, but innovation requires failure. Mm. If we don't try things and fail, we don't learn. There we go, yeah. And when we do try them and fail and learn, you know, you apply and you go on, you do better the next time. But it's hard. It's expensive because mm-hmm. creating those technology platforms can be very expensive. But the way to do that, um, you know, IDEO, the sort of design mm-hmm. firm that popularized yeah. design thinking, yep. their whole thing is like start, yep. fail small. Yeah. Like try small things, yeah. prototype them, fail mm-hmm. small. And then it's not that big a deal. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's frustrating to me um, to see the, the way funding works in ed tech. So, but at any rate, the other source would be angel investors mm. who have enough money mm. to, you know, put capital behind mm. a, uh, an expensive technology platform, you know, prototype. So those are the two sources that I'm looking for right now in funding. Mm. And those are, I think, the two most typical sources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For funding of ed tech. But, um, you know, angel investors aren't educators. Yeah. And so they don't understand a lot about the industry that's important. Um, like how slow it moves to change, like that part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, just that you can't just walk in and plunk down technology yeah. in a classroom and expect it to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to work like that. There's a lot of um, partnership with districts that has to happen, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in, in the best world, all of that tech integration is taking place behind the scenes. I don't ever want you mm. two to go into your classroom and have to figure it out. I want you to go into your classrooms, turn on your computers, click the two buttons, yeah. and get what you need. Yeah. That's how it's supposed Praise to work. Jesus. <laughs> that, that would be cool. Yeah. That'd be right? amazing. That'd be great. I don't know how many times I've fixed things that were right. <laughs> and I've, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot about yeah. fixing stuff, but yeah, that would be cool. So I think in um, from the educator lens, like there's a fear about partnerships when it comes to funding, particularly like being taken over by like corporations or <laughs> yeah. like there's still people I roll if no one can see me, big eye roll, my middle school eye roll um, to like people who are afraid of like Gates funding or, you know, like whatever, Coca-Cola, and yeah, yeah. We, Pepsi well, High, what well, you yeah, pep, the Pepsi cafeteria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Um, so how do you kind of navigate that weird? Or like, how do you address some of that paranoia <laughs> or real concern? Let's, let's honor them too. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a thing, right? Like, you don't want uh, Pepsi to be the only beverage in your cafeteria <laughs> yeah. because Pepsi's funding right. something at your school. Um, uh, typically, that isn't how ed tech ventures get funded. Um, you know, those public-private partnerships. There, that's a whole other uh, category of question and, mm-hmm. and answer. It typically isn't linked to ed tech. Okay. So um, I think that, but to the point about, you know, um, philanthropic funding around Gates or Walton Family Fund or that sort of thing, you know, um, both those foundations in particular are staffed by people that I think are thoughtful and smart and willing to work with, with folks. So, you know... I, I've never had personally mm-hmm. had the experience where um, 
a funder was trying to tell us to do something that was fundamentally mm. wrong mm. or bad for kids or mm. wouldn't listen to what we were saying. Like, And I've worked for a couple of different Gates-funded incubator-type yeah. things mm. in all over the spectrum from pre-K to higher ed. Yeah. Um, I've never had that experience. Like, I've always had really positive, thoughtful, careful-minded mm. folks to work with. So I think it's... Um, I think it's important for people to actually meet the people behind it before yeah. they start criticizing yeah, yeah. it. That's good. Um, yeah. And this, yeah, yeah. I think some for some folks maybe it's just the, the they create stories about what it's <laughs> yeah. like, but yeah. without having yeah. the personal experience of like yeah. meeting people who yeah. are concerned and caring and you know want to do the right thing for kids in schools so well i feel like if you're gonna have a solutions oriented mindset too you're gonna go in with that like you'll be willing to meet and to talk about it i think you know people yeah. want to complain about i was just thinking about like architecture school architecture people are like complaining about the schools it's like no there's real people who really designed it with the, they thought with the students and the community in mind and if you're mad about it get involved in these organizations that you know become a consultant yeah. or like help out like there's ways to get involved in some of these spaces where you're you know if yeah. you're afraid about what's happening or that it's out of touch it also doesn't mean you have to sacrifice like your ethical sense of ethical yeah. responsibility yeah. right like if there you are in a situation where Is you this know, funded by lng just kidding right <laughs> that's well, the hot but topic if, like, yeah right <laughs> but if somebody does something that you think is inappropriate yeah. like you know, saying like, hey, I don't think that's going to work for our students or our school or yeah. whatever, you know, just, yeah. I think, too, that um, the processes that most innovators rely on and would, would want to see use, like design thinking or service yeah. planning, um, those things are designed to bring in community voice. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you don't take advantage of the process uh, structures, then that's on you. Mm -hmm. You know, I you know I often teach courses or workshops on design thinking, and I get questions about how can a process designed by two privileged white guys from Stanford yield equitable results? Good question, fair question. Yeah. And the answer is the process is the process, and it's like any process. What you put in is what you get out. It's a framework too. It's a framework, and so yeah. the framework is there for you to use and and capitalize on community voice yeah. mm -hmm. and it is entirely up to you to get out there and meet the right people to get the right inputs mm -hmm. so you know from my perspective it's just like uh, what we've been doing with global voice like i would never try to create something without actually talking yeah. to students who don't speak english as their first language mm -hmm. yeah. you have to mm -hmm. because right. that's how you that's how you make the results equitable and responsive. Mm -hmm. Also, and, it seems like if you don't get those inputs that your whatever it is that you're making will fail. It will. And so then <laughs> it's, a, so it's a self correcting. Yep. It really problem. is. I mean, yeah, it's so true. basic, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so just for our listeners, uh, if you're interested in this work, I think Holly, you're open, you want more kind of comments and feedback and you're looking for more yeah. student voice and teacher voice, educator voices, maybe community member voices as well. Yeah. So how, if someone who's listening is interested in getting more information about your work or, like, helping out with that process, how can they get a hold of you? Um, well, the website is up. Uh, you should go look at it, Hope, because yep. we just revamped yes. it. Yes. Excellent. Um, I'll put the link to it in the show notes, but I don't know if you want to yeah, say it out. Yeah, it's www.globalvoice.io. Uh, oh, cool. Fabulous. And um, my email is attached to that, so there's an info thing on there. You could just 
send us an email, and I'd love to get in touch with anybody who's interested in that. Cool. Perfect. Uh, I think it might be time for our new segment, mm-hmm. newish, now a few episodes in. Yeah. Champagne for your real friends, real pain for your sham friends. <laughs> Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. So, who are we going to raise a glass to on this fine morning that we're recording? Oh, I think we should raise a glass to all the educators who are on their summer break mm, yeah. right now. Kind of in the middle of it. Cheers. Yeah. Maybe um, you're thinking about going back to school. Maybe you're thinking about how awesome this program sounds you know, and that we're you want to get involved. We, but we also know you're not going to, I mean, no matter what you're doing, you're not going to slow down. Like You're yeah. probably at Target right now. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to this while you're also on Teachers Pay Teachers, like, don't even lie to your yeah. like <laughs> Champagne to Target sales. Yep. No, Target sales yeah, that help sure. teachers right <laughs> yeah. now this time of year. You're going you're gonna to keep, keep doing your teacher thing in the summer. We can't stop you. But at least, you know, try to relax a little bit before school starts, okay? Uh, anyone you would <laughs> like to raise a glass to, Holly? Doing good work in ed tech or just in general? Oh, gosh. So many people I'd raise a glass yeah, to. Yeah, you can do a couple. Um, well, I will, uh, here's what I'm, I'll raise my glass to. I was thinking about... Uh, schools, teachers being off, yeah. but you're just saying, Annie, um, I know some really fantastic educators who are just getting ready to open schools oh, yeah. next year, and nice. um, they were just authorized by the Charter School Commission. Yeah. Um, Ashe Prep Academy yeah. and Skyway will be opening in the fall, and uh, Deborah Sullivan and Monique Harrison are, as we speak, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really gearing it up to yeah. open a fantastic school for kids in Skyway this fall. So, so great. So excited awesome. for them. And then we authorized um, four new schools yeah. this round, and they will be opening in the year after. Cool. That's awesome. We actually didn't really talk to you about that work that you do. Um, <laughs> that other work. <laughs> uh, yeah, the other work that you do. So there's, yeah. you said there's six total then that are opening this, or no, two this year and then four more next one year. One this year, one this summer, okay. and mm-hmm. then four next okay. fall. Cool. Um, what's the best thing about working with people that are opening new schools? Oh, gosh. Um, the opportunity and, and the actuality mm-hmm. of people doing something different in education. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't keep doing the same things and expect different results. Yep. That's just all there is to it. So it's exciting to work with people who are willing to get out there and put themselves on the line and really put their credibility and their reputations on the line to try something mm-hmm. for students who wouldn't normally have a chance to experience those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so kudos to them. I, I mm-hmm. don't know how they do it. They are working triple time to try and do something different for kids who really, really need it. So that's that's the coolest thing about having yeah. served as the director of school incubation. Um, we might have to have you come back on the show and talk about that's that a, work like more. That's a whole, that's episode. A whole other another episode. Topic. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other topic. Uh, <laughs> any other glasses to raise? Uh, I don't have any more today. Okay. Uh, let's pass out some real pain. <laughs> real pain. We want to call one out for the summer day camps that don't let campers go inside when it is 90 plus degrees. Give those kids some shade. <laughs> Like some actual shade. I am so, I love my local YMCA. Mm. I'm not going to tell you which local YMCA it is because I. It rhymes with, just kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. It's the Auburn Valley YMCA. Wonderful, amazing programs they have there. Like super diverse YMCA, like incredibly compassionate staff, great people, but their facility is not well equipped to do day mm. camp. And they make their kids be outside all the time in the summer. And you like not visor, in the shade. A fan and a visor. Like, get those no. kids circle, cycling into Water the pool. Bottle. Get them no. in the gym sometimes. Like, I don't, you know, yeah, maybe you're going to have to cancel open gym for a little while just so like daycare, day camp kids can like 
be inside and make sure they get enough water. You know, take care of those kids. I'm, I'm I worry really about, I worry about how passionate you are. About I worry this. about our kids in the summer, especially. Like I know our kids. Like they do the summer lunch program, at, like McKinley Park. Shout out to to the parks department for doing that with a partnership with the school district. But yeah, we got to take care of our kids this yeah. summer. And if you are a fragile person, like meaning you are have medical concern issues or whatever, stay stay cool. Okay. Turn on the AC. Go somewhere. A, this with is a really long PSA. As a kid growing up in Arizona, in you know what summer, I'm talking about. Totally you know, know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. And we had a we it's had a whole life. track planned out yeah. of free air conditioning. That's right? amazing. From the library to totally. the mall to the movies yeah. to like. That's yeah, awesome. it was a whole plan. They take air conditioning really seriously down there because it's like <laughs> life or death, man. It's a desert. <laughs> yeah, we have like, oh man, up here it doesn't even get that hot, but it's still just a we're t- woefully yeah. underprepared. Yeah, in this <laughs> part of the world. Word. Yeah. Any other real pain? <laughs> I don't know if you're uh, into passing out some pain there, Holly. Oh, I'll I'll probably pass. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, our final segment. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. So I'm gonna <laughs> assign some homework for the end of summer here, and that is to go to Holly's website and check it out. Global Voices. So cool. We'll link again to that uh, here multiple times, so you can't stop thinking about it. Um, but also, if you're excited about this work or interested in finding out more, I really encourage you to get a hold of Holly. Um, she reached out to me originally, and it's been such a pleasure to work with you in the last Likewise. few months this Thank year. Thank you so much. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah. So that's my homework for you. Yeah. My homework is um, my wife works in special ed and she always tells me about these amazing technologies they have in her program. And I just want, you know, if you've never like Googled like assistive technology, mm-hmm. not adaptive technology, but assistive technology for yep. people with disabilities, mm-hmm. like um, head switches for being able to communicate via iPads and like, so, listen, yes. they're amazing. Like you need to go yeah. check it out. And like stuff that just makes people's lives so much easier, levels of playing field for folks with disabilities. Like you have to go check it out. It's so cool. There's like, it's amazing. Like just go, go, go down the Google rabbit hole of assistive technology. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole nother segment yeah, right there. Absolutely. Oh, cool. It's yeah. so cool. Homework. For our listeners? Um, I would say if you're interested in knowing more about design process or innovation, mm-hmm. um, go check out ideoideo.com. It's a design firm mm-hmm. in California that popularized design thinking. They have a whole section just dedicated to K-12 um, nice. and using design thinking in K-12. Um, and uh, for the administrator crowd, you mm-hmm. know, go to mm-hmm. Arizona State University's website and check out Service Blueprinting. It's a user-focused, user-centered way to redesign processes. Um, Just thinking, I mean, I think this is an area that's woefully underlooked Mm -hmm. here. Like, just making the experience easier for people, Mm -hmm. you know, to your point, Annie, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, Just making an experience or a process, like registering for a class or um, Mm -hmm. signing up for the lunches or whatever it is, just making that easier for people who you're not typically thinking about, like those parents of ELL students whose first language is in English, right? It can just make a huge difference in outcomes. Awesome. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts. Move to Tacoma. Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma. Crossing Division. Flounders B-Team. We Art Tacoma. And Taco Man. I think he'll like, he'll stick his finger in this and he'll go, ha! He'll think that's hilarious. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.